holy name of Jesus. Amen. So really, what in the world is going on in our gospel text today? As I said at the forefront, it seems to be filled with contradictions. Hate my family? Whatever happened to honor your father and your mother, the fourth commandment? Hate my life? What about being fearfully and wonderfully made, as the psalmist writes? Renounce all my possessions, but God gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and children, land, animals, and all I have, says Luther in the Catechism. So, I mean, really, what is Jesus up to? Is he going against his own will and the will of his heavenly Father? Well, as I spoiled at the beginning, no, he's not going against his own will or the will of the Father. Jesus has not lost his marbles this morning. When we read Scripture and listen to Jesus, we must always remain attentive to the details. Notice that Jesus says, if anyone comes to me, in this instance, Jesus is not talking about your life in the world amongst people. In other words, he's not talking about the second table of the law, commandments 4 through 10, which were given to regulate your life with people and possessions, which Jesus sees as a good and beautiful thing. Instead, he is very specifically talking about your relationship with him. If anyone comes to me, Today, Jesus is homing in on first commandment issues. You shall have no other gods. So the question posed to us today is, do we want to be Jesus' disciples? If so, we must fear, love, and trust in him above all things. Jesus alone must be our supreme good. Jesus alone must be that which we worship and adore. So today, when Jesus tells you to hate your father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, your very life, and to renounce all possessions— What he's really doing is imploring you not to make them your supreme good. He's begging you not to make those people and possessions or the expectation of those people and possessions into that which you worship, adore, and seek ultimate meaning and identity in. Now, this may be a hard pill for you to swallow. 
Because if you're really honest with yourself, if you really open your heart up and take a peek inside, I bet that you will find that Jesus is not always seated on the throne of your heart and your life. You should know, though, that you're not alone. Let's do a a little exercise. Look to your right, and then look to your left. See all those people around you? Hate to tell you, but they're sinners. And they're in the same boat as you. In fact, you're staring at a guy who is also a sinner and who struggles with the same thing. Under these beautiful vestments is just an ordinary guy who makes mistakes. Just ask my colleagues, they'll tell you. It seems to me that we hold people and possessions as our supreme good. Because they are both familiar to us, And for the most part, they will our happiness and our good. Many times across the course of your life, though, you will find that there is a very, very fine line between between holding someone or something as an icon, a window of God's love, and enthroning them in your heart as an idol, as God, that one worships and adores. Here's the truth. An icon of God's love is never meant to be treated as God himself. Not your spouse or your kids, or the future you have planned for your kids that keep them away from this place, busied by academics or sports or other extracurriculars. Not your job, or your investments, or your retirement. Not food or drink or entertainment or sex. Now, these are all very good things. These are all icons of God's love that should never be enthroned in our hearts as idols, as God himself. Theologian Dr. Peter Kreeft writes, For every addiction every idolatry, everything and anything that is worshipped as God instead of God will always break and destroy itself. Now, when I came across this quote this week, I instantly thought of a time in college when I learned this lesson after turning a friend from an icon of God's love into an idol. I mean, I was off to college, you know, newfound freedom, not under the tutelage of my parents. But what I quickly found was that when I left the safety of home, 
sin came a-knockin'. I was really struggling with sin and thought I could find the love, healing, and rest my soul needed in my friend. Because after all, like your spouse or your father or your mother or your children or your friends, they willed my happiness and my good. The fine line. Soon, though, the weight of being God to and for me was too much for them to bear. They were suffering and our friendship was suffering. Finally, on one contentious night, they were standing in the doorway of my room and they came in and they grabbed my Bible off the shelf and they threw it at me. Now, I don't condone throwing Bibles at people because, you know, you could injure someone terribly. But it was what my friend said to me that was really impactful. Mason, I think you need to read this and be reminded that I'm not God and cannot give you the healing and the rest that you need. Spear to the heart. But it was something that I needed to hear. And I think it's something that we all need to hear. Because after I heard that, I began to see things rightly, to look to the one that gives all good gifts. You see, our families and our friends and our possessions were not given to us to bear our sins or to heal our deep spiritual wounds or to find true rest for our souls. As I said, they're good, but they're not meant to be our supreme good. Because after all, they're created things. And if they tried to be the creator and the recreator, they would be destroyed. Instead, these people and possessions were given to us to point us to the one who says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. My friends, here's the simple gospel truth for you again today. Jesus wants to do for you what no person or possession can do. Let me say that again. Jesus wants to do for you what no person or possession can do. He wants to bear your burdens. That's one of the reasons we have a crucifix hanging over our heads. It's a constant reminder that there is only one place to throw our burdens and our sins, and it is on to the one who can bear it. And then what's more, to give us something back that is beautiful, namely forgiveness. Jesus wants to give you rest. And I'm not just talking about eight hours of sleep, 
although that's nice. Jesus wants to give you a rest that is, as the prophets talked about, a deep shalom, a deep peace where everything is set aright. He yearns to touch the deepest wounds of your heart and to heal them if only you'd let him. And then he beckons you, his beloved, to come and bear your cross that you might be more and more conformed to his beauty and his life. Are you ready for that? I mean, especially you who have been baptized young and who have been Christians forever and where maybe faith has become sort of a monotonous thing. Are you ready to again be touched by the radical love of God? I think I am. I think like you, I'm so worn down and exhausted that I am ready to open my hands to receive from the Lord. If you're ready, then let's dethrone the people and possessions we have made into idols in our hearts and let's ask Jesus to come and take his seat again. Let's confess our sins, open our hearts, and receive the gifts that Christ gives to us again today in word and in meal. Because with burdens lifted and true rest shalom given and wounds healed, we can see with new eyes the beautiful gifts that God gives to us. Our father and our mother, our spouse and our children, our very life, our friends and possessions as icons of God's love, as things that continually point us to his radical love. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.